We began five weeks ago this Sunday, believe it or not, our journey through the Sermon on the Mount under the title Faithful Flourishing. And this morning we want to pick up our exploration of this remarkable teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ by looking at verses 6, 7, and 8. If you want to catch up on any of the previous teaching, you can do so on our Facebook page. It's quite straightforward to find it there. Verses 6, 7, and 8 read, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let me read those three verses to you in a couple of different paraphrases and translations so that you can get the sense of them a little more deeply. The J.B. Phillips translation, a paraphrase written in the 1950s for school children so that they could understand the Bible more clearly. Happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. Happy are the kind and merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Happy are those whose hearts are pure, for they shall see God. Or the uh, message by the late Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase, Presbyterian minister. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. And lastly, a relatively new paraphrase called the Passion Translation. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy, for tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. The, third, the fourth, fifth, and sixth Beatitudes invite us to continue in a journey of discovering who God is in our spiritual lives. And as we look at them this morning, I pray that God will take each one and just open your heart a little and speak directly into it. And whichever one, all three, one, the third, the fourth, the fifth, or the sixth, whichever one God might use to minister to you today, I pray that he will do so with real grace and with tenderness. There is, in verse 6, an eternal truth that we must remember. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And here is the simple principle of Scripture. God will meet those who are hungry for him. He will come to us. He will find a way of reaching us. He is faithful. He promises not only to meet us, but to fill us to satisfy us, to give us strength and comfort. If you are spiritually hungry today, then God promises that he will meet you, that he will come to you and give you life and hope and sustenance if you ask him. The sentiment that's articulated in this beatitude is one that is articulated by the Virgin Mary when she is told that she is going to bear the Son of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 53, we read this, 
from the lips of Mary. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. In the Sermon on the Mount later on at the end of chapter 6, Jesus will make this very point. He will say, when you put God first, when you long for him, when you yearn for him, something happens in your life. Seek first, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added on to you. Seeking God, seeking his presence, not because we don't have it, but seeking to know more of him to live in his purposes, to be filled with his grace, to encounter his mercy is a mark of the people of God. It's what we're called to, to be hungry for God, to be hungry for his ways, to be hungry for his presence, to be hungry for his mercy, to pursue his plans and his purposes for our lives is one thing. It's important and it's good, but we are to seek his face more than we seek his hand. We're to seek God for God's sake, to know him more, to see him more clearly, to follow him more closely, to be more impacted by his character. This is the call of God on those who love him. And he invites all of us who claim to be Christians this morning to hunger and to thirst after righteousness. That word righteousness has three different contexts that can be used for the purposes of what I want to share with you this morning. There's a sense of legal righteousness, moral righteousness, and social righteousness. The legal righteousness that the Bible talks about is being justified, forgiven of our sin, announced and released from the guilt and the punishment that we deserve. The Apostle Paul later will pick that up in the book of Romans, particularly in Romans chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 9. He will talk about the fact that when we are in Christ, all those things that have separated us from God have been taken away and we are united with him. Uh, the sense of legal righteousness is this. When you are made right with God through Christ, your account is paid. Your debt is canceled. Your separation is removed and you are one with him. But there's also in this uh, word righteousness a sense of moral character. In the rest of Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus unpacks how they are to live, now they are his followers. He reminds them that there are five or six areas of their lives, like a summary of the law, that they're able to now live deeper and more freely in because of grace. They're able to handle criticism better because of grace. They're able to handle attack better because of grace. We'll pick that up when we look at blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake next week. They're able to hand their, handle their private lives better. They're able to handle their, their relationships better. They are made better people because of God's grace and mercy at work in their lives. So are we. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is not only to hunger and thirst after being right with God. It's to hunger and thirst after God's character being replicated and demonstrated in us. How many of us this morning know our weaknesses and our frailties? We know our brokenness. We know our need of God's grace. We know the areas in our lives where we need him to help us. We struggle with them like the Apostle Paul. There are good things that we want to do and we're not doing them. And there are bad things that we don't want to do and we do them. When we hunger and thirst after God, we are promised that he will meet us. 
That's why the Apostle Paul made it so clear when he said this to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Sister, brother, whatever situation you find yourself in, however stifled you might be, whatever the challenges you might be, whatever character flaws you're trying to work through, however difficult you might be finding your life at the moment, God promises that as we hunger and thirst after him, he will fill us. What a wonderful promise. And the third aspect of righteousness I want to just make a comment on here is social righteousness. You see, there is a sense in which when we are made right with God and we hunger and thirst after character to be produced in our own lives, we want to be free from sin. There is a third aspect of this that is often overlooked, and it is we look at sin and oppression and injustice in the world, and we long for that injustice to be dealt with. We long for the world to be a fairer place. We long for our communities to be fairer places. We want to see those things that oppress and break people removed so that God's reign and rule can be seen. I want to read to you something from Martin Luther on his, from his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that captures this very powerfully, I think. The command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert when you hear these words, hunger and thirst after righteousness, but to run out if that is where you have been and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body and to wager everything you have and can do. This is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that can never be curved, never be stopped or sated. One that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except the accomplishments and maintenance of the rights of God despising everything that hinders this end. If you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. In other words, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to yearn to be made right with God, to live right with God, and to see the world made right with God. And here is the promise of God in this beatitude. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Let me ask you, sisters and brothers today, here and online, how is your spiritual appetite? Psalm 107 verse 9 says, He satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he told her that he could sustain her and strengthen her and provide for her. In John chapter 7 verse 37, he promises that he is the water of life. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for more of his work in your life? God promises that if we hunger after him, he will fill us. There's an important spiritual reality under this that is worth remembering. You could have been a Christian five months and be growing faster than somebody who's been a Christian 50 years. Because we will grow at the rate of our hunger. We'll grow at the rate of our yearning after God. Are you still 30, 40, 50, 60 years into the Christian life hungry for God? God meets us. The other reality about this is important, and that is God meets hungry people. So be careful that you don't assume that because a ministry is being blessed, 
that everything about that ministry is right. That might not be the case. Be careful to remember that God in his grace and his mercy reaches beyond ordinary people and meets hungry people. He uses broken vessels. Can you ever point to anybody who hasn't been broken? Do you know anybody who has ever stood behind a pulpit or pastored a church or led a movement or being an evangelist who isn't a broken person? God uses broken people to reach broken people. If he didn't, none of us would ever be reached. Be careful that you don't place any pastor, any preacher, any leader, any evangelist, any ministry on a pedestal. They don't belong there. The only person that we hunger and thirst after is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we hunger and thirst after God, God fills us. What a remarkable, wonderful, and beautiful promise. But can I remind you of something? For those of us that feel acutely our need of God's grace and God's mercy, he will finish what he starts. Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 to 17 make it clear that one day every injustice will be dealt with. Every sin will be dealt with. And we will be fully and completely satisfied. One of my favorite verses from the general epistle of John is this, from 1 John chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. What a promise. You might look at yourself and think, you know, I'm not that great. You might uh, be able to see your faults and your failings. You might be aware of your shortcomings. But when you are in Christ, here is the promise. One day we will be like him and we will see him as he is. That's the only day that we will be fully and finally satisfied. Until then we hunger, we thirst, we yearn after God. And as we hunger and thirst and yearn after him, he meets us in his grace and in his mercy. Verse seven flows on to say, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is compassion for people in need. The Greek word for it is eleos. Mercy deals with what you see. It is seeing somebody in front of you and wanting to help them. It's seeing somebody in need and wanting to make a difference. And this beatitude promises that when we are merciful to others, we will experience God's mercy. Mercy, eleos, and grace, charis, are related. Eleos, mercy, deals with what you see. Charis, grace, deals with the root cause. Charis deals with sin. Eleos deals with those who have been impacted by it. Mercy extends relief. Grace extends pardon. How do you know when you have pardoned somebody? Well, as I have said, Many times before, in different circumstances, you have pardoned somebody when you can pray for them. And when you can pray for them with love and with grace and with tenderness, then you know that there is no unforgiveness in your heart. But when you can't do that, when you find it difficult to do that, then there's a charis issue at the very center of your heart and soul that needs to be dealt with. And grace works itself out in mercy. 
It works itself out in tenderness and kindness and compassion, always looking to bless someone, to help them, to support them, to stand with them, to do what you can that they might become all that God wants them to be. The church lives in an unmerciful world. All around us, we see a rights-based culture. I'm entitled to this. I want this. I want this. I want this. We're supposed to be different. Let me recite to you the words that Paul uses to the church in Philippi. Consider Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be demanded, but instead humbled himself and made himself nothing and poured himself out to death, even to death on a cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and proclaim that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The church, the local church, is supposed to be a community of mercy. A community where we forgive each other. A community where we believe the best of one another. A community where we serve one another. A community where we walk alongside one another, where we pick one another up, where we are there to help and serve and support. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, just a few moments later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. Where do you need God's mercy today? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a set of circumstances at home that nobody else knows. Don't over-spiritualize this. It might be that you're struggling with a mom or with a dad or with a husband or with a wife or with a son or with a daughter. It might be that you're struggling with friends. Where do you need God's mercy? And where can you show God's mercy? What does that look like, showing God's mercy? It means letting people make the decisions that they want to and seeking to love them. It means doing everything you can to help them, to serve them. It might mean buying a bag of shopping and leaving it at a door. It might mean making a, a pot of curry, although I hope you don't get curry every night for six weeks, and bringing them to Sarah and to Kenny. It might mean putting your name on a list when somebody's in hospital and saying, I can do a lift. Not that I'm trying to shoehorn this in. It might mean driving the minibus at 2.30 today. <laughs> Where can you show mercy? It might mean believing the best of someone rather than the worst. It might mean being kind with your words or your actions or your thoughts or your intentions. But when you do that, something shifts inside you and you're given a deep gift of grace. It's a wonderful wonderful thing. And verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Earlier on in the Beatitudes, Jesus has said, you are blessed when you are pure in spirit. Here he says, you're blessed when you are pure in heart. What does that mean? Well, it might mean inward purity, the desire to live a sin-free life, like Psalm 24 verse 3 or 51 verse 16 tells us, who can approach your holy hill, Lord? Only those who have clean hands and a pure heart. It must mean something of that, but I think it means more than that. In the context of verses 6, 7, and 8, I think purity of heart 
is also single-mindedness. It's also simplicity of vision. I live to please him. I have a friend called Simon, and some time ago we were having a coffee and a conversation, and we were talking about what he, I don't know how we ended up talking about this, but we ended up talking about headstones, as you do. And I said to him, what would you like on your headstone, Simon? And he said to me, I would like written on my headstone, he loved God. I thought that was very powerful. To be pure in heart is to be single-minded in our intention to live and to serve Christ. To put him first. To be, in the words of chapter 6, verse 22, single-eyed. Jesus picks this up when he says, he calls us to be single-eyed, to have a singularity of vision and purpose. I think that's why Eugene Peterson translates verse 8 You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. When you are conflicted in your inner man or your inner person, you see everything distortedly. When you are double-minded inside, when you are conflicted about who you are or what you should be doing or how you are called to live, when you have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, when you have one foot in your desire and one foot in God's desire, or when you are under pressure and you allow your inner world to get into turmoil, you can't see the world clearly. But when you still the storm in your soul, when you quieten it and you say, no matter what is happening, Help me to live for you, Lord. Then something changes in your outer world. That storm can be caused by other things. It can be be caused by mistakes that you make. It can be caused by the mistakes of others. It can be caused by the circumstances of society. It can be caused by financial uncertainty. It can be caused by difficulties in your home place. But when those things cause you to be um, all Uh, ruffled on the inside, when you allow yourself to be stilled and to be pure in heart, something happens and you see God with a greater clarity. You see his grace and his mercy with a greater capacity to understand that he is for you and not against you. Where are you this morning? Read and be reminded of the promises of these three Beatitudes. They will be filled, they will receive mercy, and they will see God. What promises to hold on to? Lord, I come to you today hungry, then you will be filled. Lord, I come to you today seeking to show mercy, you will experience mercy. I come to you today wanting to have a singularity of heart and focus and determination in my life, then you will see God. And those promises are for all of God's people.